Hey guys, welcome to the Street Cop Training Podcast. This is a podcast that we did with the Real Minority Report with Keith, uh, who's a police officer in Florida. It's a good interview that we did. He asked a lot of good questions, and we wanted to share it with you guys. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Dennis, how long were you a, uh, a cop, and was it always in New Jersey? So my law enforcement career started uh, in 2001 when I took the civil service exam when everybody else went off to the military service. So a lot of guys I went to high school with were joining up the reserves, signing four-year contracts with the intention of returning and becoming a police officer, uh, probably under the assumption that the military would have got them closer to police service, right? But what these guys didn't know is that you needed veteran status in New Jersey because if you're a veteran in New Jersey, according to civil service, it is a direct spot to the top. You can score literally a passing score and still be pushed ahead of somebody who passed the test with flying colors. So you could have a, a veteran who scores a 70.3 and a civilian who, may, who scores a 99.7 mm-hmm. and the veteran goes to the top. So people would hear this, but a lot of us were generally not given explanations on how to become a cop. If you didn't know a cop, you didn't know there was no internet in 99 that you could go and research. And if, if, if it was, we just got the internet in high school. Literally, we had like six computers in a big high school that just got the internet. And a lot of stuff wasn't available yet. So, dude, I took my first civil service exam after finding the application at the local library. I was in college. I just knew I didn't want to go to the military. Not for any reason. Just I don't think it was for me. Um, and I probably just didn't have guidance on it. Do I think the military is good for a lot of people? Hell yeah, I think it's great. And I think every kid should go to the military because what I've learned in police academies was a lot about myself. Could have learned that sooner. So um, I was in college in my first semester, criminal justice in one other class because college was not for me. I'm all about education, but scholastic education is being forced down my throat. It was a hard, I even had a hard time picking the topics that I wanted to take for my first semester. I'm like, eh, I don't want to take that. It's fucking stupid. Like that one's stupid. That one's dumb. I don't want to learn about earth science. Like, so uh, I took criminal justice and I forgot what the other class was that I took some, some stupid, I got a Dan, but in my criminal justice class, the professor was like, yo, you don't need college to be a cop in New Jersey. And I'm like, um, what? I didn't, why did nobody tell me? So why did my guidance counselor know this? Why did my moron guidance counselor like tell me this? Why did nobody ever tell us anything about this stuff? So she's like, no, you can take the civil service exam and you just need high school in New Jersey to become a cop. And I'm like, what? Like, nobody ever told me this. Literally that day, I, I drove around to multiple locations trying to locate the applications because the, the, the libraries only go to, it's got so many applications. So I'd go to the main library. I'm like, hey, do you guys have the application? Like, we ran out. Try this library. And then I'm going to the next one to try to find the application to fill out and mail in uh, to ensure that I had a spot. So I took my first civil service exam, I believe that October. Uh, and that was, that was 2000. And the following year in 2001, in the springtime, I began the process with the Department of Corrections over here. It was a county correctional facility. It's a fully sworn position. And I, they're like, yo, you could be 19 and have a gun. And I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds phenomenal. This is exactly <laughs> what I wanted. So I, I got on the job. I went to police academy when I was 19 for corrections. It's the same academy for police and corrections here. I know that in many states, the dynamic is extremely different, but it's really not dramatically different here. I think corrections in this portion of the country gets a lot more respect um, than generally a lot part a lot of parts of the country, just because 
They have to go to the same academies we do. The program is very similar, although shortened. It's not shortened by that much in some training facilities. Um, I took that job. I turned 20 in the academy. I graduated. I thought I'd be in corrections for three weeks, and I ended up being there for two years. Uh, so about two and a half years later, because I'm not counting the academy time, I was taking tests nonstop because that job was killing me. Um, for somebody who needs to be constantly doing something, it is a very stagnant, do nothing job. It really is. I'm not saying that people would say, Oh, corrections officers don't get paid for what they do. It's what they might have to do. Right. Like, I, okay. I get it. Like there are moments, but it is a really, really boring job. It's, it's horrendously boring. So that was driving me nuts. I probably took, I don't know, in two years, 25, 30 police tests, but you got to understand something. I wasn't willing to leave New Jersey because it's very hard to get on the job in Jersey, extremely difficult. Um, at that time I was taking tests and it was a thousand people showing up for one job, every single test that we had. It was a great, you know, so it was a very good, very sought after job. And it's still very hard to get on the job here. It's still a very big struggle compared to other States where they're recruiting people or offering incentives to move. And the reason is because it does pay a formidable salary here. It's a very high paying job with a great schedule and you don't need much college to do it and advance as well. Some agencies require, but most don't. Um, so I took a job with the, with a federal job. It was actually, I lucked out because I was willing to take anything to get out of jail. Ended up being a police department at the, at the federal level that actually was the cops. Like literally you were the police. You had response to calls for service, domestics, car crashes, the whole nine. Uh, you could be proactive, but their pay scale was junk compared to New Jersey, right? Like if you're from somewhere else, you might've thought it was stupendous, but compared to New Jersey, I'm like, yeah, I can't be here. The mm -hmm. benefits were terrible. The retirement was terrible compared to New Jersey. And by the way, they were broke. They were fucking flat broke. So <laughs> I wasn't sticking around on a sinking ship, man. It's not the game that I play. Uh, so I took the civil service test for the third time in New Jersey. And fortunately enough, the town that I grew up in, were doing some massive hiring and I happened to be in the second group that were hired off that exam because we had a lot of veterans in that first class. And then, so there was 13 followed by 13. So a lot of veterans in that first group. Uh, and then you had the rest of us in the second group who were high scoring civ uh, civilians who got the position. So I got hired with 13 people in 2005 with that crew. Uh, and that's kind of my law enforcement career. And, and, you know, in, in a nutshell in 2014, I was involved in a uh, on duty incident where I was struck by a vehicle, had to have uh, medical procedures done on my knees and subsequently was uh, ultimately had to retire medically. Um, and again, you know, at the time, something not easy to uh, try to tough pill to swallow. But now looking back, uh, it was God doing something for the rest of the world because while I thought I was doing a great service as one police officer, I feel like I'm doing a lot more service as, you know, at this point now in the ballpark of 100,000 cops who are paying attention to what we're saying and doing and taking our education. So, you know, and bringing a lot of stuff to fruition into the forefront. So everything happens for a reason. Some of the toughest things in my life that I had to face and deal with ended up being the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I actually worked two years in corrections as well. Uh, great opportunity to get your feet wet, but like you said, it was killing me as well. And uh, maybe that's something we can talk about on a whole another episode because uh, there's a lot I could say about that. And the one thing I'm going to um, jump in and say is this, is like people get under this corrections officers who are prior corrections or current that are cops now will get into this. I'm sure you've heard this. I feel like the best cops out in the street were corrections officers. You know what? 
Do I agree that maybe for the first six months you have a little bit of an edge? Sure. Of course you do. You've dealt with the criminal dynamic for two years or three years. But overall, people who are good will catch up rather quickly. And I've, I know, I, I believe that there really holds, there's some value to having it, but there is no uh, dramatic difference between I, some of the best cops I know were never corrections officers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're not, you're not really conducting investigations in there. But I will say personally, I think it made me more comfortable talking to people. And uh, maybe the way that certain people operate as far as, you know, uh, they might be really good at manipulating officers when they talk to them and yeah. stuff like that. So well, you recognize you it, dude, like, you know, what crime yeah. looks like, right? So you're going to, you know, what that real criminal element looks like at least to the surface. Then you get the real high end criminals, but you're forced to communicate in corrections. Even if you don't have commu- good communication skills, you're going to have to figure it out. So it's really uh, a great thing to go through, but, you know, don't like people who are listening, like don't sell yourself this romantic story that you need corrections first. I, I just don't believe that. That's a good point. So what made you want to teach? Were you ever an FTO? Were you ever a supervisor? You know, what, what made you, cause you're, you're obviously very passionate, you know, about what you do right now. Where, yeah, where did I, that come from? I think that, uh, you know, ultimately I was an FTO and, and the people who would leave my field training program, not only enjoyed it, but came out far better uh, equipped for the job compared to a majority of FTOs that, that we're offered in this country. And, and field training officers are, take, are doing field training for the wrong reasons. One, maybe the administration is shoving it down their throat and they have to do it and they don't want to. So they show up with a very poor attitude. Two, you get an hour and a half of comp time and people don't want to negotiate with that. So that's a real bad uh, incentive to want to train the upcoming police officer, especially if you're a, like a real like bucket of shit. Right. If you have nothing to offer, you're not going to put your heart and soul into it and not going to continue to educate and become a better product of who you are and just showing them the status quo. You're really not helping anybody. You're only creating the problem. So when you bitch and complain about the current state of police work while you're wearing your blue line Punisher shirt at the fucking bar, there's nobody to blame but yourself. <laughs> right. Like, don't don't be at the next union meeting bitching and moaning when you're a contributor to the garbage that 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 we're dealing with. Um you know, working with a lot of other agencies and watching people and still to this day, watching the misconceptions, misunderstandings, taking X, doing extra things when you don't have to and doing less things when you should have done more. So this, this misinformation of what was effective, what was important, what to know. I mean, dude, I just had this conversation the other day. I'm like, we, we didn't even, I didn't even know when we came into the field, me and the five proactive guys at my agency had a 200 that wanted to be like, cops like we didn't even know when we could search cars we were just like guessing like we didn't even we didn't even know we didn't know that if the odor marijuana last go nobody told us in a six-month academy a 12-week field training program and three weeks give or take post and pre-academy training not one person said hey this is when you can search a car not one i would have remembered because i was a cop before i had to go to my third academy because i do three academies so i was paying attention to that i'm like and I was calling them out a lot. I'm like in the academy, like write a memo if you think there's there's some improvements that could be done. And I'm like writing memos nonstop. I'm like they're like, well, what's the problem with this? And I'm like, nobody. Why do you think that every like encounter is going to be like, sir, do me a favor, put your hands on top of your head, interlock your fingers, swing it, and like you have to do this ballerina act and dance um, to get handcuffs on somebody. And hold on a second, let me just and. Uh, you know, they would say to me like, well, what do you, what do you suggest that we do? I go do it. Like it's done. Like, well, how does it work in the field? I'm like, 
yo, uh, do me a favor, turn around, put your, hands, put your hands behind your back. Like most 99% of people are going to be non, non-violent and compliant. Right? If you're dealing with non-compliance, it's not going to be like, they're not going to listen to you because you're giving them orders to interlock their fingers. So people have sold themselves this, this insane bullshit that they've conjured up in their mind on what works and what doesn't. And we would see that, dude. I would see silliness, misinformation, not knowing that the actions they took were proper or improper. And not that it was malicious or, or purposeful. This is a lack of education, right? And I'm like, you know, let me try to do something about this. Let me, uh, let me start taking notes on the side of the road of the things that I see and I notice and what I look for and questions I ask to get to the bottom of things, the, the case that allows us to take action and started writing it down on a, on a, on a notepad, dude. So, um, you know, essentially, once I had what I felt was six months worth of notes, I felt was enough to get going. I threw it into a PowerPoint and I just showed up, right? I, I shipped it, man. I didn't hold on and wait for it. And I had a lot of people slinging mud my way, right? I had a lot of non-believers, a lot of disbelievers. And, you know, fortunately enough, I just kept my eyes focused forward and ignored the noise. And, and by the way, when you're going to do anything like this, it just comes to the territory. And the sooner you can accept that and understand that nobody makes something for everybody, the easier life's going to be. So that's kind of where it comes from. And it's been extremely rewarding now. When people say to me like, Oh, my, my chief thinks you're an asshole. I'm like, that's cool. I had a guy message me three weeks ago and said he didn't kill himself because of something I said. Like, so I don't care. I don't care what your chief thinks. <laughs> like we have a guy who just wrote me an email five months ago that said he's alive on a shooting on a traffic stop because he heard my voice in his head. I don't give a shit what your chief. Th- I don't, I don't care what your insecure chief was being held accountable now because of things we're saying feels about us or who's never taken or ingested any context. Cause his friend who's a insecure Lieutenant at a police department told him that I was a dick. Um, it speaks volumes of who you are. If you're disagreeing with the mission statement of street cop training, that is we're interested in putting more bad guys in jail and sending more com- cops home at night alive to their families, right? The preservation and, and doing it legally. Um, you know, it is no surprise. You are not, you're revealing to the world who you are if you're disagreeing with what we are trying to accomplish. You're not, you're not part of the solution because this is part of the solution. Not all of it, but it's part of the solution. I can promise you that. That was going to be uh, my next question because with the things that you teach, um, it's very outside of the box thinking and you are kind of reinventing that will. And what I've seen is the majority of officers, especially the ones that have that old school mindset, they're really afraid of change. So how much resistance did you get when you started this? You know, you said you had like non-believers, but were people like adamant about like, hey, you need to stop this? You know, they were somebody, were they standing in your way? You know, were they trying to prevent you from, you know, teaching uh, these these methods that, like you said, you aren't taught in the academy. You, you may not be taught in field training. So it's like anything else, dude. Like, do we look at the general consensus to try to get... Uh, like, are you going to look at football players on a peewee league team to try to design, try to figure out how to become a pro? No, you're going to look at a pro and listen to what the pro has to say. The pro may say things that they're not teaching you a peewee league at the field by your house. And Pete's dad is the coach who like has a big beer belly and like is insecure and like acts like a jerk off to kids. So of course there's going to be resistance, but when we talk about orthodox versus unorthodox, those definitions are interesting because orthodox is just what everybody else is doing. And unorthodox is a different way of doing things. And you can see clearly 
throughout the world, the most unorthodox thinkers, the ones who change and progress more and more. Nothing we're teaching is trickery or deceitful. As a matter of fact, what people don't realize is that we're actually getting police officers to conform more with what the law dictates is permissible. Um, and then also making sure that society understands what these cops' motives are. And, you know, if you can tell me why you think writing somebody a ticket for 17 over the speed limit is anywhere close to the universe of maybe apprehending a suspect who's wanted for child rape from 11 years ago, has been hiding out, uh, and you were able to pick up on something and use some kind of tool to be able to compel identification and then check him for warrants legally. What, what's the argument? You know I mean? And this is not, this is rhetorical. I'm not saying this to you directly, but like, what's the argument then? You know what I mean? And the argument is when you tell somebody who's been doing this profession for 22 years and may have high rank or may have a lot of pride in the way they've been doing things like writing a bunch of goddamn tickets, uh, it's a hard thing to hear that you've wasted 22 years. But, but it's the truth. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. And you'll have people say, like, well, I can show you at this intersection. We've reduced car crashes by 18% with the use of traffic. You put a marked police car out there. People are obviously going to slow down. I, I, like, I'm going to show you that, like, <laughs> employing these tactics, right? Like, writing the tickets didn't get people to slow down. The police car being out there got people to slow down or, or pay more attention. That's a stimulus that people reacted to. But what you didn't realize was during that time that you were out there doing traffic enforcement, maybe there was a guy that you'll never find who was child sex trafficking a victim around, right? Maybe there was a, a gentleman in the car who had a kilo of cocaine drive right past, you know, but you were worried about the speeders, right? You're worried about getting that. And, and it's just, it's so silly when we think about how we spend our time as law enforcement. And, and it's even sillier for administrations who are not encouraging their police to go out and protect society, right? Like to go out. And if we're going to have time to be proactive, why are we not spending that time to the best of our abilities? I mean, some of the simplest tactics we teach are so legal. And even some of the, the most unintelligent people can understand how they apply it and go out and, and apply it. It takes no more effort to try to figure out who somebody is on a traffic stop than it does to write them a ticket. So let's use this. I mean, just the simplest tool that I give in class on how to compel identification and the violations you can use to do that. It will, it will result in such greater, but you know, dude, like people just don't like change. It's not just cops. It's society in general. People don't like to change the way things have been done until it makes a lot of sense until sometimes the hand is forced to change. Right. Cause I'm willing to have a conversation with any upper level administration to explain, you know, cause people will try to play the game. Like, well, it's just, you can't argue my position legitimately without being behind closed doors because you would never make sense in front of a crowd of people, right? It just would never against what we're, what we're advocating for. We're not even arguing, we're advocation, right? Like I, I would really like your guys to not run radar and to like make sure that the burglars who just hit two stores overnight are stopped on the highway before they like come and hit my store. Right? Like I don't give a <laughs> shit that John who's late to work at 8.58 a.m., because his wife was sick and needing extra help and his boss is a dick. And if he gets caught coming late, he may lose his job or get docked pay. So he raced a little bit and took the risk. And then you were right there to really grab him. And then right next to John, because your eyes are not open because you're playing laser tag with bumpers or running radar is a gentleman who wants to go to a school who started to pick out children because he's going to try to kidnap one and rape one. Like, like how are we spending our time? You know what I mean? Like what? And that's just the essential principles of any business or anything like that is, spending your time the most appropriately how are we spending time 
That's what, and again, dude, it's very, it makes people very insecure when for 22 years you thought that tickets were police work. And that's how I open my class. I'm like, they're just not like tickets aren't police work. And it's hard to believe. And an average civilian wouldn't be able to understand that, that it's not, but they're not. How much more clear can I make it? We can spend our time trying to disrupt criminal element. I just spend time like Jesus, you're better off driving through the high schools and like the parking lots of your elementary schools to maybe just maybe catch somebody who want, might be trying to commit a crime or a mass shooting mm-hmm. than, a, than, a, than a career's worth of tickets because you have told yourself in a romantic story that you've been helping. You haven't. You haven't been helping. Tickets aren't helping anybody, just so we're clear. You could fucking pull me over and write me a ticket and say, oh, well, take this, motherfucker. And I'll say, and it just explains further who you are, right? It just, it just does. Um, I would like to say that my proactiveness comes from my FTOs. All of my FTOs are proactive. Uh, I actually work at an agency where I feel like even my, my supervisors are proactive, uh, where they absolutely don't have to be. But I can't help but wonder, you know, you come across that cop every now and then who probably used to be the same way. He used to be very motivated and proactive. And now they're just jaded and they're negative. And they would rather sit under a tree than do the simplest thing, which is go back up another officer, you know, who's being proactive. Is that a, is that a trend that you see, you know, throughout this profession where someone starts off and they want to, you know, they want to go out there and they want to, you know, maybe watch a dope house and do some traffic stops from a dope house. They want to go look for this person that's got a warrant. They just want to, you know, get out there and do something. And before you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe life happens. Maybe, They've had a the bad supervisor who left a t- bad taste in their mouth. You know, like, uh, do you, is that something that you see happening? How can people avoid that? Well, so I never cast judgment, right? Because we never know what people's backstories are, right? You just don't know. Like, you don't know if the guy's dealing with cancer, right? You don't know if, like, <clears throat> if there's a, something happening in his personal life. So there's never a judgment cast. And I actually never cast judgment maybe early in my career. But later on, I'm like, if that's what that guy wants to do, that's his prerogative. This is his job. And whatever. And by the way, some people aren't comfortable with doing police work. They may be cops, but they may be more appropriate, you know, doing money runs and transports and and doing school crossings. Maybe they get a rise out of that. Maybe it's more their 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 forte. How many times, you know, what did the last administration drag them, uh, you know, over the coals? Did you know? Essentially, it really rolls down to when it boils back down to it is administrations and their behavior. Um, because culture is an interesting thing. You can go to a police department that has proactive culture and see a lot of happy cops. And even some of the ones that aren't, they're proud to be there along with those cops who are proactive and, and, and energetic and want to do things. And then you can go to the other agencies where everybody's miserable, morale's low, and administration pretends like it doesn't exist because why? Selfish behavior. They're going to get paid every two weeks. What, what the fuck do they care, right? Like, what do they care? They don't got to change morale or they don't know how. So they're in a position where you know, you can change. You can learn how to be a better leader. You can put yourself last and put other people first. But what it boils down to, it comes down to the culture that's being created by the dynamic of your administration. You may see somebody go to an agency that has an administration change, and that new administration change brings a whole new dynamic, whether good or bad, and their attitudes could change for the negative or for the positives. There's a lot of interesting, I don't, you know, you don't know what people are going through. I'm certainly not casting judgment, but I, I would have to argue that if I saw that and I was the head of an organization, I would just try to understand why is that occurring? What are we doing wrong? How have we failed you? Um, but again, that takes that takes caring. 
that takes empathy, that takes understanding, that takes giving a shit more than just collecting a paycheck. And a lot of these people don't know how to do that. It's just the truth. You know, oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Absolutely. Great point. Your videos, you probably get this a lot, especially from proactive officers. Uh, after watching video after video, uh, you know, and researching the Facebook page and the Instagram page. Keith, let's just pause for a second. Okay. Uh, you seem to be in phenomenal shape. <laughs> dude, how old are you? Look, you don't seem like a young guy. I'm 31. Yeah, dude, you, uh, you look like you keep after it there a little bit. You married Keith? I tried to. No, I'm not married. No, oh, no. so you're using it a lot. I get it. Hey, listen, I get it, bro. I want to hook up with hotter chicks too myself. So um, I started pumping weights when I was 18. I looked at the no. girl I took it when I was 16. I'm like, man, I could do better than this. I, I just know it. I ain't trying to be down this road. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be down this road. So I started hitting the weights, dude. And it paid off. Now, I have a girlfriend who is very, uh, I'm, I'm very much in love with her. So it's good dude. listen to this. Yeah, That's great. So. Listen, not a bad thing to be in love. Um, <laughs> no, it's true. I'm, I'm very much in love with my wife. Uh, have been from the moment I laid eyes on her. Still very much to this day. Still the best of, of everything that I could ever imagine. So it's not a bad thing. Good. Good. No, like I said, you probably get this a lot, but every, you're right. The, the tactics that you guys teach are out of the box, but they're very simple. And almost after each video I watch, I think, man, I, I think about specific calls that I've been on, specific traffic stops that I've been on where I'm like, dude, if I, if I would have just searched that car a little bit more, like, you know, if I would have just asked him these questions, if I would have been looking for these signs, like, I probably could have had, you know, maybe not some kind of huge bust or something like that, but I probably could have got, you know, some kind of a, a lot more PC than I would have had. So following that up into my next question, when you go around and you teach this material, it looks like you have officers in there that are new and officers in there that have been on the job for a while. When it comes to soaking up the material, are you noticing a difference? Like if you get the old heads in there, they're like, ah, uh, you know, I know this shit already. Or, you know, they're not really adamant about learning the things that you're teaching. Or, or when you get the new guys in there, is it hard to get them to understand, you know, the concepts that you guys are teaching? So back to the the issues. And it's just it's the same in any 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 realm. It's perspective and education, right? That's all that's all it comes down to. So perspective, changing the way you see things, the way you see this this job. And educating, right? So getting the right education of what it does look like. Um, I don't, it's very, very rare that somebody will say that they didn't take something or a ton of things out of our training courses. Once in a blue moon, you'll have somebody who has no idea who I am, who shows up. And maybe somebody who believes that they're, they're hot shit and doesn't want to hear, doesn't have enough humility is extreme. And I use this word insecure a lot because it is a very, it's, it's a dynamic trait that we find in society in general. And it explains a lot of things where they can't sit there and have enough security to say, you know what, this was good. This guy, like I did, you know what? I knew 48% of this, or I knew 79% of this stuff, but like, this is, I'm going to use that. And some of the best cops in the country who have attended my training, I don't find it intimidating at all because we're just, it's just knowledge share have said like, dude, I knew a lot of this, but like that one thing you just taught, that was cool, man. I'm, I'm going to use that. That's really smart. So my job is literally to sit here and try to figure out how do I make it easy? How do I show what it looks like? And how do I communicate it back into a way? And that's really the magic of it is the way we communicate it back. 
and, and it's unique to the to the style of how we teach it, who we are, how we behave culturally. This agency, um, dude, we have some. You know, I, I say this, and I'm proud of it. And I'm not. This has nothing to do with any other training companies because I don't know the dynamic of the training companies because I don't care. Um, the people that work at this company are so genuinely good people that that comes across very clearly in class of what their intentions really are. We are not here um, acting as capitalists. We are here genuinely wanting to pass on the knowledge that we have to share. You know, combined, who knows how many years? But 20 years in the game, myself, just about trying to tell you the things that I've learned. And even from a point of like, yo, I behaved like an ass. Don't do this. Right. Like I have to look back now at a man who's almost 40 years old and say, I know what you're thinking, by the way, you could see me skins for 40. Come on. Look at his glowing cheek over here. Bro. Look at, you know, they take care of yourself. Anyway. Um, there, we, we want to share this information with everybody. Um, it's wonderful. It's a lot of it is not for self purpose. It is for selfless behavior, to be honest with you. Like I, I really, I find it rewarding to hear our results back, but I also like, don't, that's not what drives me on the whole situation. You understand what I'm saying? So um, I don't know if that answered your question correctly. I'm trying not to spend too much time going off of my Benino thoughts here. <laughs> no, it absolutely did. Um, and the and then the reviews speak for themselves. I mean, almost every day, someone that has attended the training has something to say about you know whatever stop they're on, or or they're sharing their knowledge you know about different case law. Which brings me to my next question: You stress learning about case law, but what can I, what I can honestly say is, it's almost like after you get out of the academy, after you get out of FTO. Um, you get off probation, you're not really taking those tests. You know, of course you get a million emails a day, things change, the job is very fluid, but it's very easy for officers to not have that drive to study case law. You know, when you get to a certain point in your career, uh, can you talk about how important that is? I actually thought, I, so I have like thousands of thoughts a day. I'm just, my mind's insane. Um, that is probably the biggest dynamic shift that we are trying to push. Um, if you want to learn how to be proactive, you want to learn what crime looks like, you want all that stuff, uh, great. But everybody needs to know what case law says if you're going to don a uniform and a badge. I, everybody. I, you, you just, so when I can make that important, I know that that's probably the one thing at this moment that will have the most impact on how we do things as cops, how we're viewed. And how we can back up the actions that we take because it's been decided in a court that that, those actions were proper. It is when I discovered it, it was the answer to everything I've ever been looking for. And if it was that profound to me, it must be that profound to other people. Do I think that people are going to sit and read it? No. So I understand that we're going to do the work and you're going to pay a fee to come and hear it for a day and at least hear it so you can have some context in it. Out of 100 people, I would suspect one or two would actually find interest in it. If you start reading it, it is life-changing, but you have to consider this job, not a job, your career. Like, what are you trying to make out of your career? Are you trying to make it, are you trying to be the best of the best? And you cannot be the best of the best. You can lie to yourself all you want. You cannot be the best of the best without understanding legal procedure and how you're supposed to behave. I mean, I know a lot of guys and girls who are really good cops who think they can forego 
learning legal procedure, case law, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment. And, you know, it's a shame because a lot of that talent goes to the wayside. If they just spent the time understanding how important it is, they would become legendary, to be quite honest with you. That's a legendary shit. Like, you could be as legendary as you want. And by the way, on a, on, a, on a side note, I also think it's important for somebody to try to be well-rounded, right? So, like, if you're going to spend time in case, well, I think it's also equally important to spend a day or a, or, a, or 100 or 200 hours or 300 hours on going to a shooting course every year and getting your skills up. I also think it's important to understand Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, like, know how to defend yourself. You don't know how to do that now. So I think, I think somebody who's a professional invests in themselves – and what people don't realize is it pays off in dividends in the long run. The time and effort that you put into training and educating, uh, educating in this in this realm, you're gonna you're gonna good things are gonna come in turn to that. Like it's never gonna go, even if the process of getting promoted in your agency is not fair, you may make yourself so obviously qualified that nepotism will fall to the wayside, and somebody will have to choose you. And the one thing that separates the goods from the greats. And there's not many greats, and I hate. To, I'm not even. I'm not even calling myself a great, but it is this this knowledge of legal procedure. You're going to have your district attorneys, your assistant prosecutors, your county attorneys calling you for advice. I mean, you're going to prove it to them so much how good you are that you're going to have legal professionals looking for you, and your name's going to start to travel around like, yo, that guy or girl knows what he's talking about or she's talking about. They're really call this cop and ask them what they think. They know this stuff well. And we have to play that side. We have to play that game, right? We have to play the game of they're on our team. We have to help. Your administration, if you play it right, you don't have to say things like, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, blah, blah, blah. I know all the case law. You could say, guys, I know this. Let me just share it with you. I don't think we should do it this way. I think we should do it this way. And here's why. And when you have diplomacy with that and you come from a neutral standpoint without feeling you're like, like you're hot shit, humility it goes a lot i always i made this this infographic a while back like humility is a rare trait in law enforcement but it is a powerful one if you could deploy humility as a cop and by the way like it's it's i try to tell our instructors i'm like look guys people have asked me for autographs right and, I, and in my head I, it's me who say to myself like me like why the fuck do you want my auto? like you know but i try to tell our instructors like yo there is a certain level of appreciation that everybody has for the things that we're doing and it's nice to be admired but with that uh, being admirable comes, you must deploy 10 times more humility. So, and, and, and naturally for us, that's for the people that work here, that really comes very natural. We're not very full of ourselves. We do have a lot of attention, but we try to deploy, deploy more and more and more humility and go above and beyond. And I think that as you become smarter and grow more, you know, nothing I hated more than a cop who becomes a good cop and won't talk to the new guys because he or she thinks she's hot, they're hot shit and they're below them. Like, bro, the people you should be talking to are the new guys, right? Like that's who you should be sitting down with and coaching and trying to grab their ear. Cause that's what I did. Like, I know you're field training with Phil over there. Like, and I don't say Phil because I did work with a guy named Phil has nothing to do with that. Phil. I just use <laughs> Phil as an example, uh, just goofing around, but like, you know, Hey man, I know that you're going to be in the, you're going field training with Steve. Um, you know, let him teach you those things. Cause I can't say no, I can't change it. Right. I know Steve shouldn't be field training, but he is. Yeah, when you're done, if you want to learn some shit, man, like, let me know, like, hit me up. We'll get together. Like you, you want it. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's, let's, I'll see if I can get you moved to our squad and we can do some, I know you, I see you're a little eager. Like, let me give you some points. You're not going to learn shit over the next 12 weeks. What I'm trying to say, but doesn't mean you can't learn shit over the next 24 remaining years you have at this joint. So everybody's really should be there for their uh, newer cops. I never understood a police officer 
who would see a fellow cop newer struggling and make fun of them rather than helping them. I just, I to this day could never figure that out. And there's nothing I fucking hate more than bullies. I mean, that's why I have a position on how the behavior towards one another administration to subordinates are because of the dynamic of how much I can't stand bullies and not because of my life experiences, because I wasn't somebody who was bullied. I was a very popular kid, but I knew there was responsibility that came along with that. And that responsibility is to behave properly just because you're the best. And I watch bully. I watch kids, the best athletes in high schools, a lot of times were real dicks, right? Like for what though, dude, because you're, you got gifted with a little bit of a better thing than the other kid who's on your team is trying to help. He wants to be like you, bro. Like fucking help him. Like what? Don't act like a dick. That is a huge sign of insecurity. I mean, just, just to behave that way. And by the way, dude, I'm very empathetic to people's positions. They haven't been told this. Hoping somebody hears this and changes, right? I'm not changing everybody. And I hate to sound like so cliche, but like people have changed from hearing shit. Like they just needed to hear it. We'll get this one all the time. You should talk to my administration about this. They don't want to hear it, right? Like I'm <laughs> four years left. They don't give a shit about it. Maybe they do. And by the way, when they hear it, if they're the right people, it's that's why we line up. That's why we have chiefs who will go to bat for us any day. That's why we have people who like literally our biggest supporters now are our top level administrators, not in democratic cities, but in cities where stuff like what we're saying matters to them, right? It's, it's an answer that they're saying, you know what? I, I didn't know that. And I'm glad you said it because I thought this, I just never knew how to get it out. And we're, we're glad to do shit like that. You know, I think that what we are seeing, um, you're on the topic of new officers. I think what we're seeing right now is, some of the new officers that come on, uh, maybe it might be part of a generation or, or I don't know, maybe it's just them personally, but they fail to be able to communicate with people on the job. And it's not just coworkers, it's out in the field. And you and I both know when you show up to calls, of course, so you have a lot that goes into it, but at the same time, one of the biggest parts of, you know, conducting investigations is being able to relate to someone, being able to get someone to trust you, um, and, you know, break those walls down. And I know there's a lot that goes into that, but that's something that you can't the tell question about I have somebody. Is, we, yeah, the question I have, I don't want to lose train of thought. I don't mean to interrupt you at all. The uh-huh. question I have is, are we talking about people who are new or are we talking about somebody five years in the job who still can't talk to somebody? Because no, 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 no. New, uh, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing it in new people. Yeah, and dude, uh, like, like bottom line is like, look, I've been in this game for 20 years, give or take a few months it's been that way for a very long time. People just confused. like, there's been, by the way, there was real lazy shits when I started 20 years ago, right? Like it's not, by the way, people were assholes to the cops 20 years ago. It's just, we didn't have social media (laughs) to exploit it and promote that. It was okay to do that. So I don't think, you know, I think you have somebody who has a hard time talking to somebody, you know, like later on three, four years down the line, that's a difference. I mean, you see that you see people who are shy. They're not big talkers. They're kind of there for the ride. They're learning, especially as a field training officer. I would try to encourage guys to talk, but people are shy, especially young kids, man, 20, 21, 22, 23. You know, we're going to domestics with people who are 45, their dad's age, right? Like you're stopping cars. They're unsure of things. So you're always going to clam up when you're unsure. You know, if I sat in a room with somebody who I was, uh, I admired tremendously. I wouldn't say much unless they asked me. So that's what's going on. I don't think that, I think people are getting real confused with dynamic of millennials and the, mis- the, the fail to communicate. There might be some truth to it, but I don't think overall it's a big truth. 
Uh, I think it just has to do with the person in particular, because you're also seeing some of the most talented cops coming out, some of the most eager, some of the most outspoken guys and girls that I've ever seen who believe in something and will advocate and talk about it nonstop. So are we seeing the other side of it as well? So if you've got 10 guys and girls and nine uh, and seven are shy, are, for, are we forgetting about the three that were also going out and, and like really were impressive? Mm-hmm. Dude, let me give you a little, it's funny. I had a paradigm shift in my life regarding perspective. And I was working in the high school that I used to go to. Uh, I was probably 25 at the time. And my friend Joe was a teacher there. And the high school in eight years had changed dramatically, dude. I mean, it really got quite concerning. So I said to my friend Joe, I go, man, there's a lot of fucked up kids here. And he goes, dude, that's what I said. Cause that's, and he said, uh, but dude, there's a lot of good kids here too. You know, I was only seeing the fucked up kids because I was a cop and that's what I was trained to see. And when he said that to me, I started seeing the good kids. I said, man, this motherfucker's right. Like, you know, ha- and that's just a, a matter of being educated, having perspective. I didn't mean to sound like a dickhead, but I did. And he was right. Um, so just like anything else, there's always two sides to see. There's always, there's always an understanding of the other side of things. So how are we seeing things? Are we jaded in the way we see things? You know, I, I try not to let people dictate my behavior. I try to let, I try to be a big thinker myself and, 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 and advocate why proper behavior is very important in law enforcement, empathy, trying to understand people's sides, where they're coming from. Everybody's so quick to judge. You got administrations that are quick to judge on people because they heard that one time this guy got drunk at a bar and took a shirt off and danced. And the administration hates him because of that. Like, you don't do, maybe the guy was dealing with something personally, had an opportunity to get, make that pain go away and ended up misbehaving. So I have a good friend of mine right now who was offered a position in internal affairs and he's a high ranking, he's a very good friend of mine. I'm not going to go into too many details. And I said, if you take that position, you just have to understand something that, you know, like you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. If it wasn't something extremely malicious, it was just some misbehavior, especially a personal misbehavior. I'm talking about domestic. I'm talking about did something, got involved in something that was silly, was stupid. Like they're just humans. And I don't think anybody deserves to not be given a second chance and also addressing that topic and that issue in a manner where there is going to be implementing uh, implementation of change as well. So I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of things. I don't think cutting people off at the jugular on a mistake is, uh, is ever a proper way of handling business. For example, at this office, everybody's allowed to make mistakes here. There's never, ever a repercussion for a mistake. Malicious intent to defraud almost criminal shit here, you're fired. I mean, we're playing, we're playing games. So there's a big difference. For example, you could lose 5,000 bucks here. And if it was an honest mistake, I'm good with it. And people are like, often are like, what? I thought I was getting my head chopped off. Like, no, like you just made a mistake. Like wasn't intentional. Intentional misconduct is something that I have. I will fire a fair warning and I am on the lookout for it again. So firing a fair warning because somebody maybe made a bad judgment of character uh, because of maybe indigency, selfishness, whatever it may be. It doesn't mean they don't need to have their eyes open and given a second chance, but continued misconduct certainly needs to be addressed for sure. Um, and, and that's what I tried to advocate to him. is like, yo, like if that's the culture, like he's like, well, I don't want to go to that position. I go, you could go to that position and do great things. Or you go to the position and, and, and leave a legacy of you being the biggest asshole ever was, but the choice is yours. The question you must ask them when they're asking you to come to internal affairs is, are you going to make me a forced henchman? If you're a forced henchman and you're going to have to cut heads off, don't take the job. 
If they say to you, what we're trying to do is correct, correct behavior and, and, and shape and form people to make better decisions in life. Well, that's something you can have great impact on, but I would never take a position to be a henchman. I don't care how good it was for me, how much of a take home car I got, what the incentive was to do it. I am not going down in history as somebody else's bitch to go and do the dirty work. It ain't going down. And by the way, I've never done it. And I think when you do the background on me, you'll find that I was a guy who was true blue. Um, and I'm human. I've made mistakes. I can't change what I've done in the past. Um, but I, but overall, my character spoke for itself. And I was somebody who's what I'd like to consider to be behaving in a selfless manner. Um, and, uh, you know, understanding of why later on in life, like why things went the way they did sometimes. I, mm-hmm. If my answers are too long, dude, because I'm like, thinking, I'm like, man, I just don't fucking stop talking. <laughs> no, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. We got all day. I, well, Keith, I, I was wrong. So you know. I, sh- I should have, no, 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 you're fine. I should have asked that question a different way. So actually on our podcast following, we have a lot of people who are in the academy or they're starting the academy. And that's been brought to my attention as far as, you know, them going out into the field and not being able to converse. Is that something that they can work on while they're in the academy? You because can when you when you have a intention of changing, right? If you when you have an intention of changing, you can do and become anything you want to do and become to the to the best of your ability. So if if you recognize that that's a weakness that you need to grow to perform your your job function, you can make that decision to to improve it. And there's plenty of ways to do that. And with the internet today, it's endless. We have an instructor here who's having a very difficult time filming himself on camera. He cannot speak on camera. Dude, I didn't know this. The guy went and took a fucking course on how to speak in front of cameras. Like he went and took his own out of his paid out of his pocket because his intention is he understands that he has a deficit and he's going to fix it. That's awesome. There things you can't fix, but if it can be fixed. And by the way, when you decide to fix things and change, you can, that's just the truth. You don't have to stick to the story of this is me. This is how people see me. You don't have to stick to that story. You just become, you choose you and say, I'm going to be this person. That's some real strong advice there. Pick yourself, right? Pick yourself. Don't, don't let others dictate what your future is going to look like. You choose yourself if that's who you want to be. But you can't play victim when you didn't make any decisions or, or, or implement you. Oh, I don't know how to talk to people. Mm. I, you know, I hate excuses, man. If there's something I can't stand in life, it's just excuses. And I, I like to call them out, identify them, and smash them on the ground quickly. So. Mm. I think Dennis, the last last uh, annoying question is also a uh, reference to a follower that we have that's in the academy right now. Um, I got an email and they were wanting to know about attending your class. And I was like, well, I can't speak for him, but I don't know if you would be learning things that you can't apply yet. So I don't know if that would be beneficial, you know, to attend one of your classes. But if you can give a young officer who's in the academy who will be on the street you know, sooner than later, if you can give them any kind of advice uh, as far as coming into this job with the current, you know, political atmosphere, uh, what would it be? Two part questions. I'm going to, I'm going to address the first part. The first part was okay. when is it appropriate for somebody to take this training? Yeah. I have no interest in ever taking somebody's money and not giving them something back in exchange that they felt like they got a bargain, right? Mm-hmm. That they stole this course from us for what they paid to receive it because it is a life-changing event. Most of the training we have is life-changing. I mean, you see the reviews that we don't make them up. We don't fabricate them. We don't hire people in Beijing to write them for us. Um, we're authentic. 
I think it's a good idea to graduate the academy, go through field training, and have a little time on the street in the ballpark of after the academy six to nine months before you take any of our training because they're just so overwhelming. There's so much to figure out that I feel like that nine-month mark really is when you start to get it a little bit, right? I always tell people there's nine months, then three years, and then five to seven years. And somewhere in those were very, very big steps for me as a cop and what I observe from others. Five years, you're going to feel like a savage. And, and seven years, you might start getting bored because the, the job isn't challenging anymore. You've got it licked. Um, so if you were to take the training course and you were three weeks out of the academy, if you wanted to come back to it a second time and you explain that, look, I took it the first time. I didn't get half the shit that you were talking about. We would certainly uh, have no issue with affording you a free spot in a course a year later when we return to your area to pick up where you left off. Now, if you've got four years on the job and you show up and you want to take it again with limited seating, it ain't going to fly like that because you were texting your girlfriend because your wife thought you were at work. Like that, that's not how we do it. Um, but we are always in the business of making sure people feel like they got what they came for and more. The second half, which is a great question. And I, with all intensive purposes, I hope I answer this correctly. And my answer may change in a few years. It just, it just might. But practical advice that I can give new people, probably something I would tell people that they were when they were new, um, especially me getting a, a guy who was, and by the way, when you got me as a field trainer, like they were already bought into it. I had a reputation. It was literally like you won the raffle, right? Like, dad, damn, he got him, right? Like, because field training was going to be a lot of fun and there was no downtime. I did not show you how to do anything except because I'm a high energy guy, man. I, I like to work. So I feel the best when I'm productive. And I, I, I just, that's, that's how I, my DNA works. So these are the, the things I would tell new people. One, decide who you're going to be. And you don't have to decide that now. You could decide that could change many times as you go through your career. So you could decide who you want to be to be selfless. Not only be selfless, but more than selfless. Be so selfless that when jobs come out that aren't yours, you take them because it was just the right thing to do. And you do things like that, not with the intention of pulling a card later on that, well, I did this for you. You do this for me. You do it just because that's who you are. So people will have nothing but nice things to say about you because of how giving you are. Hard thing to do. People want to do extra work. Take a few extra jobs. Take a, you know, you, you got your friend going to a job, you take it. When your friend gets three shoplifters and it's going to be five hours of work, go in and make it two and a half for each of you. You know what I mean? Even though it's the nicest day, 81 degrees, you're crisp as, a, as an apple, you're ready to go out and hit the road. Um, nothing says more about your character than the volunteer for something nobody else wants to do. Uh, there is something that goes a long way with that. Three, be careful with who you hang out with at work and who you decide to join as a crew. It's very, very, very easy to become a follower. It's very easy to show up with the rest of the people and behave the way they do. And in the back of your head, if you're saying this is not where I'm lining up with, I think it's time to find a new crew. You don't have to go with the majority. The majority doesn't make you somebody special. It takes somebody with a lot of heart and a lot of character to say, I'm not going to be like the majority. And those people who aren't part of the majority sometimes are ostracized in the beginning, but respected in the end. Um, I think that I'm going to try to go into a lot of different things that I would really tell somebody if I had five minutes to tell them things. Don't underestimate the dangers of this job. Don't get lazy. Don't get lackadaisical and show up to this job every day like you're Batman. Because if you show up like you're Batman, you'll be ready to fight bad guys. 
And even if you aren't Batman and you think you're the school resource officer or you're the community affairs division officer, you're still a police officer. And at any time you'd be called to the plate to have to show up in a very dangerous situation. So no matter who you are, you always have to remember who you're being at work. This is a this is a, a, an interesting one, and some people might not take well to it, but I do believe it to be true. You know, it's funny. I was just at my brother-in-law's police academy graduation in um, in Arizona about three weeks ago, and this question was asked me by one of his classmates who follows us, and probably going to see this thing. He's a really really nice kid, very eager, and this is probably the same advice that I gave him while I was watching four of my children run around and not get kidnapped. So it was like, <laughs> I try to get it out at the same time. And his father with 38 years on a job in Chicago police uh, was standing there agreeing with the things that I was saying. He's like, man, that was some of the best advice I ever heard. And I had 30, he's an older guy, right? He's like 38 years as a Chicago cop. Um, I told him, I said, look, it's very, very easy to go to the FOP picnic, right? The problem is if you go to the FOP picnic and you drink too much and act like an asshole, which happens, right? You're just a human. You're 20 something years old. Um, you know, that, that, that sticks with you for a while. It's hard to shake that. Right. So if something were to happen in your personal life and you wanted to goof off and relax, it's better to do people that can't bring it back to your police department. Be very careful of who you're hanging out with at work. You're going to have some good friends there. It doesn't mean you can't love the people you work with. It just doesn't mean they have to be part of your personal life. If you have somebody that you're very close to and they are part of your personal life and they're one or two people that you really trust, but when your circle's too large, police departments are like high schools. They're even worse. And they will use that to their to try to decharacterize you as much as possible and put down what your actual natural skills and abilities are and what you can bring to the table. And that will go back to the administration. Administrations are easily swayed. And when they hear things like that, you won't get picked if you had an opportunity to get picked. I would watch how much alcohol I consume. Um, you know, I, I understand this is a public podcast, but understanding, and this is, this is I, I hate to sound like your dad, but a lot of us get away with a lot of shit, not because we're cops, because we're like everybody else. And we, we want to act like everybody else, want to be like everybody else. There are so many things I look back on that I would probably do a little differently. Now, I can't change my life because it molded me who I was now, but I would probably watch the booze. Um, very much part of the culture. I think it's part of an American culture in general. You know, if you're going to do it, be smart with it. We have Uber now, right? Don't drink and drive. You don't want to put yourself in a place where, you know, you hit somebody and killed somebody. Not a good place to be. And I hate to say it, but it's true. I, I don't like to see guys and girls getting themselves hemmed up who had a lot of potential to be great because of a, uh, of a misjudgment. And we're all, we're all entitled to making bad calls as a human being except you're going to be held to a higher standard scrutiny. Um, and I'm not saying I haven't been that person because I, I wouldn't be saying these things if I didn't experience all those things. Uh, if I didn't say this before, I'm going to reiterate it again. Pick yourself. You determine who you want to be in this career. You came to this career with an intention of a vision you saw being. So even if they're not sending you to the school that you want to go to, but you're allowed to go and pay out of your own pocket, Doing things like that will, will really um, expose who you are at your core and what your beliefs are. So pick yourself. Don't wait to be picked. If you're not going to be picked at your agency and you can't pick yourself, pick a new agency. One of the t In the past two days, I've gotten two messages on Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry, on Facebook that I could not share. And I'm a constant advocate of, if this is not where you saw yourself, well, 
if you don't like the game you've been you've been dealt, right? If you're playing if you're playing poker and you're really into playing blackjack, take your chips and walk to the fucking blackjack table, right? But people are scared because they know how to play poker. They're used to playing poker, but they really believe they should be playing blackjack. Well, then you should go play blackjack. And to decide to make a change from agency to agency to one that fits more of what your dynamic and what your vision was for your career, it's a scary one. But fear is a North Star that you should be following like a compass. And for those who take the leap, they will reap the rewards. It's very, very rare that somebody switched agencies because they felt it would be a better decision for them and regretted it. I actually don't, I, have, I don't even know if I've never met somebody. The only time I ever met somebody who switched agencies was when they switched for the wrong reasons. They left a job they loved to go for the money. And a person, I remember one guy I talked to, he goes, I went from this county over to this county, and it was a substantial change. It was about a $25,000 a year difference. And I know in his eyes when I talked to him, he knew it wasn't worth it. So if this gentleman who was miserable, like, can you measure happiness on the variable of $25,000 a year? And it sounds like a lot, but let me tell you that it's really not. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it just isn't. So it's not worth it. So if you find yourself in a, in a place where it is not lining up with how you saw your law enforcement career, yes, you're going to lose weekends that you earn. You're going to not be the most senior guy in your squad. You may have to take a pay cut of $6,000 a year, but there's always a way. And if you're making excuses, that's just to comfort yourself. So I always tell guys, they ask me this in class, usually at the end or on breaks, hey, my agency doesn't, isn't very proactive. They actually shut a lot of it down. What do I do? And the answer is simple. It's either conform, stay, and quit complaining or do something about it. You're not under a slave contract. And, and people will find themselves getting offended when I say things like this, especially police administrators. But you're the ones who create this dynamic. People should not be leaving your agency. You know, a guy asked me recently, he goes, hey, what do you think about this PD? I go, ask yourself that. You guys are a 30-man police department. We lost four people this year. What does that say? I know another 30-man agency that makes the same money you do that they don't lose anybody ever. So don't blame me for that. I'm just here to expose the truth. So don't ever settle, right? Ignore the noise and know that haters is a good sign that you're doing something right as long as you're doing it with good humility, good character, and selfless behavior, not selfish behavior. Don't ever do anything that's going to question the moral. I had another guy message me yesterday. He did something that was questionable in his character. Um, probably something that he didn't have to do. And he's being labeled as something as his police at his police department. Um, you know, I don't know all the dynamics of it, but that's a hard thing to come back from when you make a moral decision to do something that's not part of your character. Don't let the dangling carrot, uh, carrot change who you are. Don't let the idea that if you trade it off who you are inside in your soul to get a short-term gain, it won't follow you for the rest of your life. Because I know guys and girls who uh, bit the carrot or bit the poison apple, right? And had to become the puppets for the administration and became henchmen and who led a career for 18, 19 years at that, up to that point of really, really well-known and respected people who became villains very quickly um, because they, they, they were enamored by the thought of weekends off a take-home car a possible small raise, some rank. Be true to yourself. Because you can never, like, you can't, they can take a lot of things away from you, but you can never take away who you are and how you behave towards others. Are you being selfless? I think that's pretty good advice for people.
And I think if you hear this again, maybe a couple times throughout your career, it'll remind you. There's a saying, and I don't want to use the, the bad language for it, so I'll use ass kisser. If you kiss an ass once, you're an ass kisser for life. And I think people can use their imagination to know what the other way it is. Uh, I can tell you right now, with being very vague, there is not an occasion of me getting on my knees once in my life to try to do something for the better of myself and to trade off other people. I just, you'll never find that. You'll find people that don't like me, which is fine. Um, maybe because of my character and, and my bravado, but you'll never find somebody that can question about who I was and how I behaved. And I never sold anybody else for my, out for my benefit. I was, ne and, and I literally could never understand why people do that to other people. Um, I don't want to say hate because I don't have any hate in my body. I would just never understand why somebody would do that. And it seems like those people have no problem doing it over and over again. Like a mafia hitman, dude, right? Like you ever hear these guys in these interviews, once they kill somebody, the killing got easy from that point forward. Yeah. So were you a mafia hitman or, or, you know, like, I mean, that's, by the way, I've never said that before. This shit just comes to my head all the time. <laughs> um, but like, think about it. Like that's you, if you listen to these guys who were hitting me, like, yeah, once you killed the first time, it was good. Easy. It was easy from that point forward. Why? Because you got comfortable being a bad guy. Don't be a bad guy. You didn't become like, don't let the very little that we have to get an agency change who you are inside. And if you follow this advice, it'll carry you well through your law enforcement agency. And hopefully it serves people well, you know, I, I, and hopefully people hear this. And if it reflects some of the, behaviors that you've become, you can change that, right? You can go back. You can earn trust again. I've been asked by people, high level administrators. They don't trust me. I go, well, let's start from the beginning. You got to get them to trust you again. Well, how do I do that? You got to apologize and say I was wrong. If you can start there, then they can respect <laughs> it, right? You got you to gotta first apologize. And if you have enough humility to say I was wrong, it'll speak you will, That will be the shift that everybody will say, we're listening. At least they'll have open ears. At least they'll have open ears. And I, again, I don't sit here taking time to criticize administrations. Uh, it's just that this word seems to be a lot of the rub between administrations and, and, and I'm trying to fix the top so the bottom gets fixed in return. You know what I'm saying? That's why I address these things. It doesn't, it's not meant to make you feel good. It's designed to get under your skin to promote change. That's why I say the things that I say. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to speak the truth and try to give you a different perspective. When I say tickets are stupid and a waste of time, I mean it from the, from the bottom of my heart, right? Do I think DWIs are important? I mean, I don't, I was never into them, but obviously there's an important factor to making somebody taking some, there is no doubt in the world that um, some removing somebody from the highway who was swerving and hammered out of their mind saved the life on multiple occasions. So I would not sit here and I'm, was it my forte, but I'm not saying it's not important. But I would tell you is 11 over the speed limit probably has never been responsible for the death of somebody, right? 14 over the speed limit by Stan, who's late to work for 79 and a 65 probably hasn't resulted in the deaths of many people or the apprehension of many criminals. And people try to argue the latter and say, well, one time I had this car, like you can, we probability versus possibility. You know what I'm saying? So, dude, without ranting any further, that's my answer for now. I'm sure that after I get off this podcast, I'm going to um, probably think about three more things that I wanted to say, but hopefully that'll serve you well for now. And maybe I'll write a manifesto that will describe. No, that was an awesome answer. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually got kind of hyped up. I mean, I'm going to probably listen to that last part uh, over and over again, but no, that was great advice. 
Um, Dennis, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time. Uh, in case you guys on the podcast don't know, Street Cop Training, uh, they actually have a podcast now, so go check that out. They have a Facebook group, an Instagram group, and on the website, you can see the upcoming classes. Streetcop.com. Uh, looks, streetcop.com. Looks like uh, later this month, well, in a few days, uh, there's a class in Hobart, Indiana. Tom Rizzo, Dallas. Friday. Yeah, yeah. And again, because podcasts are timeless, yeah. just go to streetcop.com and see what the upcoming training is. We have 15 instructors in the field right now, and uh, I am I, I literally cannot figure out why the good Lord gave me such wonderful people. Uh, it would not be what it is without the people that we've aligned ourselves with. And we have people from Rizzo, who's a very high-ranking official at a very large agency, um, down to, and I won't say even down to, across the board to people who are patrolmen, with seven years on the job, but who are very, very, very talented at the work that they do. So, but one thing we all have in common is they are great people and uh, we're very blessed to have them sharing their minds and their thoughts and their progressions with the rest of us. Good. Dennis, I'm trying so hard to get to that class on December 1st. I know I already told you, but I'm still trying. So hopefully I can make it there. You got to finagle it, bro. Pick yourself, man. You don't have to call up and, and just remember, you know, you have to call up and say, look, I got the diarrhea. I was going to show up and be like, you know, I quit my job so I can be here today. It would be a big mistake. <laughs> Unless you had some other backup plan to go to another place next. No, but dude, come on. You're probably a lights guy. Make it happen, dude. Like, can you do a, a shift switch? We're trying. We're trying. Uh, my supervisor is probably going to listen to this. So he's a really nice guy. And I know he's trying for me as well. So hopefully it'll happen. Yeah. I mean, a guy like you, I can tell already uh, that your supervisor is probably going to do the best they can for you because you're probably showing up to do the job. Right. And, you know, guys like you and I uh, are cut from the same cloth and for administrators who really get it, understand the value of a gentleman like yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Dennis, like I said, thank you again for your time and uh, I'll be in touch with you soon, brother. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it, brother. See you, man. All right, so we can still talk. Obviously, the thing's going to cut. You can edit at that point. Yeah. All right, dude, I appreciate it, man. This is great because I like when people interview me because great things come out of it. So uh, no, thank, thank you, you for taking awesome. the time. I know you're, you know, I, I want, I'm thanking you for taking the time to do this with me. I was looking very much forward to it, especially since my last podcast that I did with these fucking assholes. Yeah, I was wondering uh, if we're ever going to hear that somewhere. Because of the way you, I, I would you be, made it sound, you didn't hold back. I yeah, I would be shocked if they actually play because they look like assholes. <laughs> I, I would just be shocked. Like I would just be. It's like taking a dick pic, right? Like if it looks like your wiener is small in that dick pic, you ain't sending that shit. You're gonna erase and try it again. You know. Well, you actually, I feel like nowadays people would try to. I could see someone trying to make you look bad. You know. And when you initially you, told me, that's why I was like, fuck, I hope they don't try to do no, that. No, 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 dude. Like you would, like, it was so savvy. I was so smart with it that I, I, I knew I wouldn't give them the opportunity to do that. It's just nothing I said could be manipulated. There's no fucking way. Um, yeah. And by the way, we've also learned that we're going to record shit from now on too. It's like just what you did here. We're going to make sure we have our version as well. Not because I of you, but for anybody who's going to try to pull some shit like that. And, and, no, and, that's, and that's one of the things with the podcast and with the, I mean, just being an officer in general, I've had people ask me so many questions and they ask them with an angle. They're not asking to, to fucking hear my opinion. They're just no, asking no, yeah, to there's, 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 you, you see, run with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're looking to try to bait you into some kind of thing where it makes you look stupid. But uh, I also have deep pockets, dude. I'll sue the fucking cock off of that. Like, <laughs> I, I, mean, I do, you know, I, 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 I do. I, and, I, and I'm willing to spend the money to make a point. Yeah. So if I can't punch yeah. you in the face legally, 
I'll just punch you in the face um, with an attorney and make your life that's difficult. The, hey, that, that's the worst punch, man. And dude, I got to tell you, I got somebody lined up right now and another agency who's had to send a cease and desist letter to another training company that I'm ready to just fork over 30, 40 grand to make their lives miserable. I'm going to make them spend a hundred. I'm going to spend 30, 40 and make them spend a hundred to try to fight it. Cause they have Jeez. been warned so many fucking times to mind their business, but they just, they can't win. So they play dirty. And, and this is a reference requ- to your company. Yeah. Yeah. So the only, the only look, just don't talk about me. I, I won't bother you anymore. And they just can't hear it. They just have to spend time. You know, that's exactly what I was about to say. They have a lot of time on their hands, but it's because they can't win dude, because they've been led to believe that the fake world of law enforcement and being to able to achieve rank equals to being able to be successful in the real world. They're two different worlds. Like your ability to take a test or your cousin be the mayor will not put 700,000 in your bank account. Like it doesn't work that way in the real world. You don't get promoted. Like you can't show up and have the best ice cream shop. If your fucking ice cream isn't the best fucking ice cream, you know what I mean? So when your ice cream sucks, nobody comes and they just can't figure it out because in the law enforcement world, they were told they were a great ice cream maker, but it's because we had no other ice cream, right? That was it. So anyway, all right, dude, listen, I got to go to work now. It was great meeting you. Hopefully I'll see you on December 1st. Yeah, I'll see you soon, brother. You take care, okay? All right, see you. Bye-bye. See you, bye.